Welcome to Happiness is Courage, where we explore what's really behind the amazing work experiences that lead to functional, sustainable organizational excellence. I'm your host, Sarah Radican, and I'm thrilled and grateful that you've joined me for this journey. So let's get started. The enemy of happiness isn't unhappiness, it's fear. And fear often hides behind the word no. As somebody who grew up poor, I heard the word no a lot. I was the oldest of six children. It was me and five boisterous, half feral brothers living on the family farm in Northern Wisconsin, where nobody was getting rich from their herds of dairy cattle and my family was poor even by local standards. So book orders, trips with the choir, going roller skating with my friends, these were things that simply couldn't happen unless I paid for them myself, which I did as soon as possible. And I took away from that experience an incredible work ethic, some excellent zombie apocalypse survival skills, and the soul deep conviction that keeping my dreams small was the only way to see any of them ever come true. Forget a champagne taste on a beer budget. I was happy just to have ice in my water. Now there is tremendous power in learning to appreciate and be grateful for the small stuff. And in fact, if we wait for just the peak experiences, like graduations or falling in love or watching our children finish school, we miss the billions of other joyful, hopeful, or wisdom-granting experiences that fill our days. Yes, every one of them. Yes, even days like the ones we saw in the much maligned year that shall not be named, 2020. Our current scientific understanding of the human brain estimates that we process about 34 gigabytes of information every single day. So statistically, at least a handful of those bits of information have to be positive in some way. And so by teaching ourselves to stay in those smaller boxes where the expectations are small but safe and the results are equally so, we are actually doing much, much more than just limiting our outcomes. We are also telling the world that we don't believe in ourselves. And more importantly, on a subconscious level, we are telling ourselves the same thing. We tell ourselves no, so we won't fail. But in the process, we fail on an even more fundamental level the one where our creativity and innovation, our bravery and our very potential are born. Now here's the disclaimer. I am a radical positivity activist, a happiness researcher, and a successful workplace culture and employee experience consultant. And I am the first and loudest voice warning people of the dangers inherent in too much positivity. Well, more precisely, that inauthentic, toxic, pseudo-positivity 
the kind that encourages you to ignore or worse, attempt to get rid of the less pleasant emotions in our lives. The very powerful truth is that our emotions, all of them, even the ones that don't feel very good, are the way that our body and our brain interpret what's going on all around us. So we have a real imperative to listen when our emotions tell us that something isn't great in our world. When we try to keep our goals small by telling ourselves no, it's one way of trying to avoid those icky feelings rather than dealing with them. And when we constantly encourage people, including ourselves, to focus only on the small things, we run the risk of teaching ourselves never to expect the amazing ones. We learn to tell ourselves no, so we won't be disappointed or because we feel there's just too much at stake. Many of my parents' friends were tie-dyed-in-the-wool hippies, and they were on a mission to change the world for the better. And they morphed into some of the most deeply conservative, powerfully risk-averse boomers that I know because they got jobs. They had kids. They just felt that they had too much to lose. And that forward-thinking 30 under 30 rising superstar is likely to lose their appetite for career adventure when they run the risk of losing that comfortable executive role that they got trading in their startup for stability. The more we have to lose, the harder look we tend to take at the risks and no becomes more than a word, it becomes a lifestyle. Now, I am not encouraging you to sell all of your worldly goods and move to a commune, unless that feeds your soul. I am inviting you to find ways to just say yes and open the window for possibility. Beth Godin advises us to seek out uncomfortable situations. And I'm sure you have seen and even maybe shared the motivational quotes about growth happening outside of our comfort zone. And those are great advice. Can we really learn to get comfortable with discomfort? Well, we can certainly learn to look at situations with a more nuanced lens. But we definitely have more neuroplasticity or adaptability than we give ourselves credit for. We are biologically wired to avoid discomfort, and sometimes that is literally a lifesaver. If we have our hand on a hot stove, or our shoe is rubbing a blister into our heel, or a saber-toothed tiger is chasing us, we should do something about that discomfort. But sometimes it is detrimental to our potential when we try to avoid it. Like when we don't ask for funding for our new project, because we feel uncomfortable going to the bank and having that conversation. Or when we stay with a soul-sucking job because we are uncomfortable with uncertainty. Or when we don't get rid of that toxic person on our team because we're uncomfortable with those conversations. But can we learn to be okay with that squiggly, wiggly, weird discomfort? 
Yeah. Start by honoring that authentic experience. Our emotions exist as guardrails for our very survival, so listen to them and evaluate the situation. Maybe that looks like a SWOT analysis, or maybe it's a pros and cons list. Maybe it's a skills assessment, or working through your business plan with a finer tooth comb, or looking at your 2021 business goals with a really serious, thorough reality check. Or maybe you just have a good talk with a good friend. And by the way, as Darren Patrick says, if your friends never make you uncomfortable, you don't have friends, you have fans. There's a difference. And then once you have a more holistic, realistic perspective of what's going on, you can plan for the risks and put safety nets in place. And then say yes to your priorities and your passions and your goals. Speaking of those goals, have you matched them against your values and your personal priorities in life? Can you even articulate your core values? I have coached a lot of people and worked with a lot of teams. And companies sometimes have their values listed on a website tucked away somewhere. But it is rare that someone can coherently answer the question, what matters to you? And without knowing what matters, and by extension, what matters to your professional presence, it can be really hard to prioritize the goals that you set and to evaluate the opportunities that show up along the way. And a whole lot of fear crops up right here and prompts us to say, no, no thank you, which is fine if it aligns with our internal compass. But it leads us astray if it's just a knee-jerk response to discomfort. And even if you have identified your core values, it's a good practice to revisit them periodically, especially after a major transformational experience, good or bad, because we evolve over time with the experiences that we have. And the values that served us when we were just starting out might not be a great fit for the lives we want to lead or the people that we want to be now. So help yourself say yes to the right opportunities and then allow those successes to fuel your confidence for your next decision point. And when it's time to make that decision, instead of saying, how can I do this? Try saying, who do I need on my team to make this possible? And then start bringing those people on board or at least coach the talent that you have to get the skills that you need. As entrepreneurs and as leaders, we tend to be protective of our ideas and our self-image. Does anybody struggle with delegating? I know somebody whose son still can't cut his own meat and he's 17 years old. His mother is afraid that he'll cut himself or damage the china. But instead of helping, she's handicapping him. And this happens to employees all the time. And not only are we denying them growth opportunities, we wind up doing a lot of extra work that we can hand off to a junior team member or a contractor or an intern. But we won't because we are afraid that it won't be perfect 
well, get over it. Figure out what your tolerance level is and then take a couple of good deep breaths and just let it be. Done is better than perfect, almost always. I'm gonna say that again, done is better than perfect. Write that on a sticky note. Get it tattooed on your wrist, whatever it takes. Embrace the concept. And then when somebody says, hey, can I help? Your answer can be yes. Franklin Roosevelt once said that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. I don't believe that happiness should be your goal, but it can be a gauge, a really good one, to check if you're on the right path to accomplish the things that you've determined are more important than fear. Are your decisions aligned with your values? Are you connected to people professionally and personally who fill you up and challenge you constructively? Do you feel like you belong to something bigger than yourself? These are the sorts of things that lead to a space where happiness can thrive, providing a deep wellspring of optimism that allows us to look fear square in the eye and say, yes. The word no is just the mask that fear puts on to protect us, even when we don't really need it. Happiness is the courage to take off that mask. Are you brave enough? Just say yes.